And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here is your host this morning, Mike Schmidt. Good morning, Mike. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. Thank you, Ray, for the introduction and thank all of you for listening today. We really appreciate it. Glad you could tune in to the hope you can be with us for the whole show. We're here here for an hour and We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. So we'd be glad to receive your comments, calls, and questions. And of course, if you're listening on our through our podcast or some recorded version of this show, we certainly would be glad to receive your comments also. And I'll give you a couple ways to do that here in just a moment. We Are Just Christians is a show brought to you by the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. That's about the idea of being just a Christian, not part of some man-made denomination or some other human organization or following traditions and various things that human beings have set up, but trying to go back to the Bible, back, back to the New Testament as a means of understanding how we ought to live both as men and women and, uh, and function as a church. And so I think there's interest in that. I think people are concerned about the fact that there, we're kind of adrift in society And we have an anchor. We have the scriptures, which give us an anchor because they're from God and they tell us how to live. Now, we can we're willing, you know, we're going to we have presuppositions that we have. One of them is that the Bible is the inspired word of God. But we're glad to talk about those presuppositions or have have them challenged at any time. In fact, we specifically like to invite those who aren't believers, those who do not believe in the scriptures or in religion or anything like that to call the show. I don't, we're not going to receive you with any kind of antagonism and or mocking or anything like that. We're here to have a discussion. So we'd, be, we'd love for you to call us, talk to us about that, and uh, see if we can have a conversation that's productive to both of us. That's the point of the show. None of us have complete knowledge of anything. We can All we can do, and Gary Jones, my partner, is sick today, and he's not be able to be here. But uh, what we do from week to week is try to give people scriptures to back back up the things that we say, or at least for them to think about and look up, because that's the way we're pointing people to the scriptures. And we believe we have a strong foundation for doing that very thing. So as I mentioned, it's a live call-in show. Let me give you the numbers before we get too much further into the show. You can reach us live here in Port St. Lucie at 772-340-1590, is the number here in Port St. Lucie to reach us live. You'll be patched right through to us. I'm sitting here in our church building in one of our rooms with a uh, over the Internet on Skype, and, and Ray there at the station will patch you right through to us, and we can have a conversation. Because it's a call-in show, just as a warning, sometimes there's a little one- or two-second delay. So if we step on you or you step on us, we'll just have to work around that. It certainly isn't intentional. We have no interest in cutting anybody off or in being rude. So if that happens, you try to understand that it's just one of the function of technology. But 772-340-1590 is how you can reach us. You can also reach us by text. If you're listening on a recording or somewhere else, or maybe it's more convenient to you, you can just uh, text us. Uh, you can text me anytime during the show or during the week. I'd be glad to receive, and I receive texts during the week about the show with questions or comments, you can text Mike at 
770-6120 is the number. You can reach us there here uh, at any time with that number. And uh, I'll be glad to respond to your text messages as, if, as I can. Sometimes on the show, I can merely comment on them. Uh, sometimes I can text you back. It just depends on what's going on uh, today by myself. Uh, you know, I may not be able to do that as well as other times, but we can certainly do that. And we'll get back to you about whatever's on your mind. Uh, So if you are listening on a recording or on a podcast, that's one way to reach the show. And so if we say something that seems completely out of line or wrong or incorrect or misguided or hostile or whatever it may be, you can text us or call us and we'll be glad to talk with you about that and perhaps use it on a show. And and if we are in some way rude, uh, we'd be glad to hear about that because uh, we'd like to be able to apologize if we possibly can about being rude. We have no interest in being rude. We, we don't mind controversy or we don't mind questioning. We don't mind disagreement at all. That's fine. It's just we have no intention of being hostile or rude to anyone. I don't think that's the way the gospel is to be taught. And so therefore, even if I do it, I don't believe it's right to do that. So I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. Anyway, that's what the show is about. You can reach us. In fact, you, while I'm here, i got this right in front of me. I might as well talk to you about some other ways to reach us. You can also reach the show, We Are Just Christians, by email at justchristiansatt.net, justchristiansatt.net, and uh, you can do that. You can also listen to the show. If you don't, ha- can't ha- don't have an AM radio, you can go to the WPSL.com website wpsl.com and go to the listen live button if you're on the internet or on your phone you can go to the TuneIn radio app and look and get the show live on the TuneIn radio app you can get it by just saying alexa uh, play 1590 wpsl and it'll bring the show up on any of your alexa and google chrome devices you can listen that way and you can tell your friends about that because they can listen anywhere in the world at 9 o'clock Eastern time to the show live. And if you can't listen live, some people use our podcast. If you'll go to wearejustchristians.com, which is uh, www.wearejustchristians.com, one word, it'll take you to our website. Scroll down a little bit on the page, and you'll see a link to the radio show. And there you'll find recordings of these shows going back for several years that you can listen to. You can even then subscribe to those as a podcast, especially I think it's available on iTunes in the podcast format, much and some and some others and so forth. So uh, we'd be glad to have you do that. We also have a, a live stream of our assemblies on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. Um, it was first for our members who couldn't be here, but now it's for everybody. Um, <clears throat> you can go to. Look on Facebook for Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, and there you'll find it. I don't have—I don't know why I don't have that right in front of me here this morning, but you can check us out on Facebook or YouTube, I should say, too. I think YouTube probably has the best quality live stream. You can even get close captionings while I'm preaching or whatever on, the, on our YouTube page, which is Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, um, and, and you can look us up there. I'll try to pull up here if I can while I'm talking, doing something else, the exact 
reference there on YouTube, but you can search for the show there, and I'll try to put it on my little cheat sheet here in front of me of different things to look up. So anyway, those are some things about the show. On Sunday morning, if you want to call in, the number is, again, is 772-340-1590. is the number, and we'll be glad to talk to you. Now, uh, I've been preaching on Sunday mornings for the last uh, two or three weeks, interrupted by a couple different sermons, some things about how we got where we are culturally. Why is it that there's so much of a breakdown in cultural communication? It's like a lot of parts of our society just aren't even talking to each other on the same wavelength. Things very foreign to most of us who are older are now the mainstay, and, and society is in a complete state of disruption because of this lack of understanding and communication. And, of course, I'll say this, same thing I do about marriage. Sometimes people say, well, the problem that that couple's having is communication problems. And I think that's true a lot of the time. On the other hand, I've seen plenty of cases where, no, they're communicating perfectly well. They just don't like what the other person is saying. They understand perfectly, and they don't like it or don't agree with it. So it's not always communication problems. And I don't think you can solve the problem that our society has today just by communication and trying to understand. I think I understand what people who oppose Christianity are talking about. I just don't agree with it and probably never will agree with it based upon the descriptions and my own uh, presuppositions about the world as it is, which I think are correct. And so um, it's not a matter of misunderstanding the woke Marxist culture. I just don't agree with it. And um, I'm not afraid to say that or ashamed to say that I, I I'd like to engage people with the, uh, with ideas about this to persuade people and maybe I can learn something that I don't learn I, I'm, we, I think we should all take each other at face value give everyone the benefit of a doubt but it's pretty hard to give people the benefit of a doubt when their intention is to groom children to become drag queens I mean it's just difficult for me to get on board with that based upon what I know about human beings and about the Bible. And so there's there's not a miscommunication there. It's just a simple disagreement. But why is that? Why have things so suddenly? It, it's almost to a lot of people. Now, for people like me that are old have been paying attention to these things for, for most of my uh, sentient years, from the time I was 17 or 18 years old, this is not a surprise. But the pace of the of the disintegration has increased in the last eight or 10 years, since about 2012 or so, 2008, 2010, 2012. So it's just accelerated rapidly because of the power that's been given in certain quarters to the to these ideas. One of the things that, that keeps coming up in various ways in the last 15 or 20 years, and it comes up in various forms that I want to talk about for a little bit this morning, is the idea is what what value does man have if there's no God? And I believe that is a core issue that's at play in many of these things that are going on around us. The idea is been put has been put forward for many years by atheists and agnostics and other intellectuals, uh, even among well, not all atheists and agnostics are intellectuals, but among the intellectual class also. The idea has been put forward that we don't really need God and that man can 
can decide how to have a good life, and man can have a moral life without God. So God is unnecessary to all of this. Now, I think what they are probably getting at in reality, if I have my own opinion about it, is they don't want the moral restrictions that God, the idea of God puts on them. They don't want the idea that um, that God can tell anybody what to do, especially in the realm of morals. And so therefore, they rebel against the very notion of God and try to create a world in which God either doesn't exist or is unnecessary. And in so doing, um, they postulate then, and I've been in debates with people about this very thing, they, they postulate that, that if uh, God hadn't existed, then man would have made a God and uh, you know, man would have created God. And the idea that not only would man create God, but God is unnecessary for, a, for any kind of, of a moral system. It's perfectly possible to have God without any kind of a moral system. And I don't think that that's correct. I think that's exactly backwards of the way it is. And so people have put forth, though, this idea that we don't really need God. And because we don't need God, then um, we can make up our own moral system. And this is where we are. This is how things have got to where they are today. And um, is that true? You know, Christopher Hitchens was famous for saying this, that that uh, basically we don't need God. I think in his later years, he came to understand that without moral guidance from some kind of being that everybody respects and is superior, we're all kind of lost. I think some of it boils down to what Aldous Huxley said in Confessions of a Professed Atheist probably a century ago. I'm not sure on the exact year of this quote, but it's in the early 1900s or so, mid-1900s. He was a famous atheist, and he's he says, I had motives, quote, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning and consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. So he says, I didn't want the world to have meaning. And he's going to tell you why in a moment. And so therefore, in my assumption, it didn't have any meaning. I can easily find reasons that would satisfy my mind to make this assumption that the world was a meaningless place. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaninglessness is essentially an instrument of liberation. There it is. The liberation we desired was simultaneously liberation from a certain political and economic system. He was a Marxist. He didn't like capitalism. So it was liberation from a particular economic system and liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. That's a pretty, he said the quiet part out loud about atheism and about meaninglessness and about Marxism. But basically it is being free from any restrictions politically and socially, economically, and especially, I believe, morally, particularly sexually, is why people assume the universe has no meaning. Now, I think he's right about that. I think that's why people do that, and I think that is the result of living in a world where there is no God. There is no reason to be moral 
if there is no God, except some selfish reason, which would be simply maneuvering people because of your moral beliefs to get them to do something that benefited you. And so this is a very frank discussion about that issue. And yet people think, well, you know, we, we can we should all agree that uh, it's better to give than to receive. You know, that's one of Jesus statements that's recorded by Paul in the book of Acts, chapter 20. It's not found in the Gospels, it's found in the book of Acts in chapter 20. It's more blessed to, to give than to receive, Jesus says. Now, what law, if there's no God, would show you that? What scientific experiment? Everybody wants to know what the science says. What scientific experiment could you do to show that it's more blessed to give than to receive? Well, there's nothing in nature at all without God that would ever show you something like that. And yet a lot of professed atheists and agnostics would say that's a good principle. We should live by that. Well, who says? Who says you should? Why should we be kind to strangers? Why should we get along? Why Why should we we not be prejudiced against people from other races or other ethnicities or other cultures. Why, if there's no God, are any of those things true? Why should we operate on the principle that all men are created equal? In other words, the fundamental things about morality, if there is no God, don't have much of a basis at all to believe in them. So it, And then in the end, what this comes down to is the idea that there's some kind of a dignity with God, that God has, that there's some kind of a dignity that human beings have that I should respect as a Christian or as a fellow human being, I should respect the dignity of other people. Why is that? What reason beyond utilitarianism that it serves my purposes to respect the dignity of other people can I give for that? And of course, if it's just a matter of me in a utilitarian way respecting the dignity of other people, why should I um, why should I do that when it doesn't benefit me? That's the key. Morality is not really is useful, but it's not really that useful when it goes along with my selfish interest. Morality is very useful when it restrains my selfish interest for the benefit of others. In fact, I think that's one of the basic points of human morality in society. Well, we've got a call on the line, so we're going to pick up this subject a little bit later on. Jerry, are you there? Thank you, Mike, for taking my call, and uh, good morning, Jerry. I was wondering uh, about, uh, I hope I don't butcher this last name, uh, Catherine Dementiatree, or uh, I, I had a stroke about a year ago, uh, Catherine uh, Dementiatree, I'm sure I'll butcher that, uh, and Catherine White, are they uh, one in the same? And uh, and if you get time, uh, I'm possibly at the end of a word, at the very end, from what I understand means ownership, not not near the end of the world, but at the very end of the word, uh, name or whatever it is, uh, uh, I don't want to verify that that, uh, that means ownership. The apostrophe at the end, at the end of a word, not not near the end, but at the end. Gary, uh, Gary, uh, Jerry, these two, uh, these uh, Catherine Demontrichi and Catherine White. I just wonder if they're one and the same. That's all. I like to. Well, listen, who, what are they known for? I'm I'm not. I can't answer the question because I'm not sure 
who those two Catherines are. Are you still there, Jerry? Apparently he hung up. I, I am not sure. I I'm apologize, Jerry, but I am not sure what the two Catherines are known for, and therefore I really don't know how to answer the question. Maybe we can uh, call back or let me know some other way I can answer the question. But yes, an apostrophe at the end of a word indicates possession. It, it uh, usually does, or uh, sometimes it indicates apostrophe in the middle of a word indicates something left out, like theirs is there is, T-H-E-R-E apostrophe S is there is, um, and and if you put the apostrophe at the end, it, it does indicate possession. Now, different languages have different means of showing possession. That's the way that in many times in the English you have this possession. Well, I appreciate your call, Jerry. I just don't know how to answer the question because I'm I'm not familiar off the top of my head with what these two Catherines would be known for. So it's hard for me to answer if they're the same person or not. Um, and I don't I don't recognize the name that you said, so I can't be of much assistance there. And I'm sorry about that. You know, going back here and if Jerry wants to call back, he he certainly is. Uh, he certainly can call back. We'll try to take the call. But when when. Um, well, we have a call. We have another call. I didn't see the see it come in. Uh, Laura, are you there? Uh, yes, Mike, are you there? I am, I think. Some mornings I wonder if I'm here. I understand. What can I do for you? I've been thinking about the reason that a lot of this turmoil goes on is because we, the church, don't really understand the meaning of Second Chronicles 714. All right, let me look that up. I think we've done a horrible display of loving like Jesus over the last 75 to 100 years. That you're talking about the church has done a horrible job of loving like Jesus? Yes. Uh, can you tell me, um, I'm not disagreeing necessarily. I just want to see if I understand why would you say that? What do you, what do you think the church should have done that it didn't do? And I we're gonna have to talk about all the, what all these things mean. That that would be loving like Jesus that it didn't do. Can you give me any examples so I can work with that? Well, sure. They they shun people of different colors, race, religion, ethnic backgrounds qualities of life, the poor, unmarried, divorce, and the list goes on and on. We get okay. so wrapped up in the differences and the misconceptions of the Bible, and this is why Second Chronicles 7.14 is talking to us, the church, not to the people who haven't built a relationship with Jesus. We don't teach a lot of these people to go get a relationship with them exactly how you are now and let him love you and clean you up. Okay. Well, I guess this is, uh, let me read the verse and then I'll comment a little bit and we can, and stay on the line if you can, because I'm going to talk with you about this. Okay. In, uh, in second Chronicles chapter seven uh, here, 
the, the Lord is, he isn't, yes, verse 14. This chapter is about the, uh, the fact that God says, if, the peop, if his people, Israel, this is written to ancient Israel, keep his word, he will bless them. If they don't keep his word, keep his law, then he is going to curse them and drive them from the land and send all kind of pestilence upon them and so forth. But he says in verse 14, uh, if my people who are called by my name, that's the name of Jehovah, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And then my eyes will now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place, speaking of the temple. OK, so I think I've heard this verse applied in a couple different ways. It, what it means is if ancient Israel would keep the law that God gave them at Mount Sinai through Moses, which meant that they should exclusively worship him and then keep the moral law and ceremonial law that God gave, then he would, gonna, he would bless them. And, and if they do go astray, if they humble themselves and repent and turn back, seek him, abandon their wicked ways, turn from their wicked ways, then he's going to change his mind about cursing them. So I agree with that. I think, I think that's what, a, what some Christians are trying to do today with our culture, although I don't think America is Israel, and you can only apply these verses in a very general way. People are trying to get people of this world to abandon their, their uh, things they're doing, like committing fornication, sexual sins, pornography, uh, adultery, uh, homosexuality, things like that, thieving, greed, trying to get people to abandon that kind of hedonistic lifestyle that Americans are living, and they're facing all kinds of pushback for that. They're being called hateful and so forth. Now, hateful does it, hateful has to do more with an attitude with which I display to someone. It isn't a matter, in my opinion anyway, Laura, of disagreeing with someone. I disagree with people, and I don't think I hate anybody. They might say I do because the very fact that I disagree with their lifestyle or with their uh, moral choices, if I disagree with that and state that, that think they think that I hate them. And that simply is not true. I do not think that what they're doing is moral. And but I don't think that they hate that they, I hate them in that sense. So this is the problem that Christians have always faced. And I think we face it today. Are Christians capable and sometimes do they display animosity and bitterness and hatred prejudice toward other people. Yes, they do. And there have been plenty of churches as a group or as individuals who have displayed, for example, racial discrimination and, and so forth. And those churches will be condemned for that, should be condemned. And, and you know, in my experience now in nearly 50 years as a preacher, I've seen that in, in personal experience being displayed by both churches that are predominantly black and churches that are predominantly white. Mostly, in my experience, with churches that are predominantly white, have I seen that kind of thing when I've seen it. But it isn't right on either occasion, because we should all be one in Christ. We should all be working together. So if you were to come to the church here at Savona Boulevard, for example, you would see people who are black, white, brown, and, and, uh, uh, and even Asian here in this church, working together as best we can. Why? 
that's how God made us. That's what we're supposed to do. The gospel brings us all together. This is what should be. Um, and then you see, but you see other churches that have put up their signs in the past. No whites allowed, no blacks allowed, shun people who come of different colors, so forth. Sometimes, in my own experience, for ex- and speaking of this racial thing, sometimes it's unintentional. I think people, when they see someone of a different race or of a different culture, they don't know what to do. They're, they're kind of um, ill at ease. They don't understand how they should communicate. Other times, it's very intentional. I knew a preacher in Miami. Now, this was uh, 50 years ago, 40-some years ago, who was fired because he was baptizing that some of the members said too many black people, and they, they were going to take over the church and so forth. That's despicable, unchristian and despicable, and was condemned by other members of that church, but still happened that way. So I'm not sure, I don't know if you mean this, Laura, I, ha- I have to say, in my own experience and observation, I don't think we got where we are, that people are against God because Christians have been generally mean i don't think that's why we were where we are today i think people are i think we're where we are today because people and listen to what i'm saying people both that call themselves christians and people who don't don't want to submit to what god says i think that's why we're where we are today and i think a lot of people would be where they are morally whether christians were nice or not i don't think that's the issue on the other hand is it important how I act toward other people? Absolutely. Jesus says the mark of a disciple is that we love one another, right? Yeah. My question is whether loving one another. Go, go ahead, Laura. I think I'm stepping on you. What's that? It's okay. It's that one to two second lag. I apologize. I, uh, on the church, I had said on Sunday, a new commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. Yes. This this is a an interesting part about that verse is now we did we need to discuss what love is in just a moment, Laura. But the interesting fact about that verse, he says this is a new commandment, and the word and yet love your brother, love your uh, neighbor as yourself was given early on in the history of God's law to his people in the time of Moses. Love your neighbor as yourself. Even Jesus says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two great commandments. But then toward the end of his ministry here, and I think it's in, in John 13, he gives this new commandment. The new, the new part of it is not love. The new part is love as I have loved you. I. Yes, as Jesus has loved us. Not love your neighbor as yourself. That's good. But it's much more challenging and uh, requires more of me to love my neighbor, to love other people as Christ loved me. And that's a difficult thing to do because that's a self-sacrificing love. It isn't about me finding something that I like in my neighbor because it pleases me or because it benefits me. It's me loving and doing good toward my neighbor whether it does me any good or not. In fact, it may even hurt me to do that. 
the Bible understanding of love, this love that's in the Bible, agape, which is the word that's used here and most other places for love in the New Testament, it, it is a love that is not based on reciprocation or being paid back for some other good thing that you do. The love and the love is doing what is best for your neighbor, doing what is in the best interest of the other person. And so that would exclude that it's in my best interest to do this. I have to always think of when I speak to someone, when I interact with them, when I act toward them, what is in their best interest? And so I always have the good of the other person at heart. Now, uh, the, the challenging thing about that is that it's hard for us to do it because we usually can't help but think about how is this going to benefit me if I stop and help this person on the side of the road or if I, you know, someone asked me to help them do this or that or whatever it may be. We always think of how it impacts us. That's one of the challenges. The other challenge is not everybody. What's that? I said not everybody. Well, unless you've learned this from Christ, it's a challenge for you to overcome that. I'm not saying that people haven't overcome it. Many people have overcome that self-interest, and they can love as Christ loved. But what the, what the world does when it sees that commandment to love as Christ loved, they think that means to approve of and accept everything that other people do. So a person can act and behave however they want, and as long as... I'm supposedly, if I'm loving them as Christ loved them, I would accept their their depravity or their sin or whatever it may be, accept their bad behavior and just have kind affection. The word love in the Bible does not mean have a warm feeling for someone. It's talking about action and and um, toward another person and an attitude toward them in that sense that leads to action. And so the, if I love my child, I don't I'm not going to, you know, excuse everything that they do. I'm going to challenge sometimes what they do and or correct what they do because I do love them. To not stop what they're doing or challenge them would be unloving because it's not in their best interest for me to do that. And so when I see someone who is directly violating the law of Christ by their behavior, by what he himself has said or what he has told us through his apostles. It's unloving for me not to challenge that in some way. Now, can I be bitter and hostile and arrogant and rude in challenging them? Yes. Can I be self-interested, self-serving in my challenge to that? I can. That's a problem. But the fact that I disagree with certain moral behaviors and say so does not make me unloving. It will make me be perceived as unloving by worldly people, but it doesn't make me unloving. In fact, it may be the definition of love for me to stand in the breach and say, no, what you're doing is wrong. And uh, it needs to be stopped and you need to change what you're doing. That may be the very definition of love, according to the Bible. Did, did Jesus ever stop and correct anybody and say, no, that's not right? Well, he did it on many occasions. So we need to make sure we have Jesus. And I'm not saying this about you, Laura, but I'm I'm saying we need to make sure that we understand who the true Jesus is and not a, uh, you know, a fairy tale picture of Jesus just being everybody's kindly brother who would never say anything to anybody. That's not Jesus in the Bible no. at all. So the question is, what is love? And if I want to help people, 
how how is the best way to help people? And sometimes helping them, and we talked about this last week on the show. What is help? Is help giving them money, or is help withholding the money when they ask me for money? When they, when they're uh, I don't know. Always know the answer to that until I see the exact situation. Sometimes then I still doubt. But if we're going to love people as Jesus loved them, we're going to confront them with God's nature, who God is. With the fa- we're going to confront them with the fact that they are sinners. When Jesus came preaching, it says he came preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, repentance involves teaching people that the way they're going is wrong and dangerous for them. They need to turn around from that. Now, I'll just say this. I'm not disputing at all your point that churches have been very misguided in this approach, their approach to this many times. And uh, it's, They've been misguided many times in their approach on this. But on the other hand, I don't know that the church, given the way that the world has gone morally in my lifetime, I don't know what we could have said that would have kept some people happy. There's no way to make a gay and lesbian activist happy by dealing with them by what the scriptures say about their lifestyle. It's just not possible to make them happy with that. And I have personal experience in trying to do so. Maybe it's because of me, but I've never had much success because they don't, they're not happy. It, it, I run into this even uh, m- more so in my lifetime, uh, Laura, with heterosexual behavior that's sinful, for example, sexual behavior. When I try to say this is not right, this is bad for you and everybody else involved, I don't meet acceptance and, and affection by doing that. And yet I think I'm actually being loving by saying this is not right you need to you need to stop what you're doing and change because it's destructive if a person tells a lie or is lying and i confront that am i being loving or not well i could be loving if i'm doing it for their benefit in the way that would be as paul says i need to speak with grace have my words seasoned with grace uh, seasoned with salt he says colossians 4 that they may give grace to them that hear so I need to be able I, – I need – every time I open my mouth, my object should be to bring something that's useful and beneficial to the other person, not just a defense of myself or blow off my anger, let off some steam. So, yes, uh, I think there's many cases where churches do the, do the wrong thing and they're hateful. This, this uh, as an extreme example, this church um, – what is it, that church that goes and, and puts up all these awful – signs at soldiers funerals and so forth um westboro baptist church is that the one i'm thinking of you know what i'm saying where they go and they make these horrible displays god hates fags you know and all this kind of stuff they protest a lot of places that that's despicable uh that can't ever help anyone um for one thing it's not true and secondly, it's just, just a display of hate, of, and that won't ever help anybody. But for people to make a reason to pl- a plea that certain moral behaviors are wrong and they are destructive to society will be perceived as hate by many people today. Because, see, the progressives have defined hate as just disagreeing with people. You disagree with me, you hate me. I don't accept that definition. Won't, won't yeah. ever accept it, okay? And – and that just—that's what church. That's the position churches find themselves in. Um, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, Laura. I don't know if it applies here or not. 
we had a couple of fellows visit here two or three years ago, and we're not a big church, but they came in, sat down. They were greeted. I gave them, and maybe somebody else did, a, a guest packet with some information and a card to fill out, welcome them, glad they're there. We, they sat through the Bible class or whatever it was, and we talked afterwards and asked a few questions. And so I, I didn't know if I'd ever see them again or not, and I didn't see them for a couple of weeks. And then I got a phone call from one of the fellows. And he asked, "Can I, he says, I visited a couple weeks. Oh, yeah, I remember you. He says, uh, could a practicing homosexual couple be a, be a member of your church? We want to know that. And I said, well, now there's a difference between you attending our Bible classes, getting to know people, studying the Bible, and being an actual member here as an accepted Christian in this assembly at, that we're going to use in our assemblies for teaching and prayer and so forth. The difference between that and you coming and learning and getting to know the group here and so forth. And I said, if you cannot be a member of this church as a practicing homosexual anymore then we would accept you as a member of this church if you were a heterosexual couple and you told me you were living together and had no intentions of stopping having sexual relations as unmarried people. They, that couple couldn't be a member here either in that situation. Now, people who come and they're living that way and they want to learn and grow, they're welcome all the time. And we've got plenty of people like that that come. Well, this person got extremely hostile toward me on the phone called me all kinds of names and so forth. Well, I, I personally didn't think my response warranted that response because it wasn't just directed against a homosexual person. It was directed against a person openly living in immorality as to whether we would accept them as a, as a member in good standing of this church. And I said we couldn't. Because I don't think the I think the Bible in First Corinthians chapter five, I told them here's a man practicing sexual immorality, and Paul told them that they should not accept this man who is openly practicing sexual immorality in the church. So we have a Bible example of this. Wasn't good enough. I was I was bombarded with all kind of cursing and invectives and so forth. What do you think about that? Was I being unloving? Um. No. It's a pretty tough situation. It hurt me. It hurt me. I, everybody's just welcome to find out about the love of Christ for themselves and make their own decisions because we all fall short of the glory of do. God and we all sin in some kind of different way. There's a but difference, though, between people that are sinning that are sinning from the frustrations of the day or whatever, and there is no difference. But to each his own, and and I believe they should be working out of their ways. But for churches to even do memberships, to me, is not really the goal of Christ. Well, uh, I'm I have to understand that there are people who will come and listen, who have at that time no intention of actually serving Christ. And being part of the community. Now, as an elder of this church, for example, when you're a member of this church, I have an obligation to help you and watch over your soul and, and uh, uh, interact with you in a special way because you're part of the flock here, as it were. There are other people that I encounter from day to day. I have an obligation as a Christian to treat them well. And as you mentioned, of course, which you're right, to love them. 
I don't have any obligation to, you know, correct their life or to guide them and so forth as a shepherd, as I do if they're a member of this church. We have obligations, and we see this in the Bible, that Christians helped other Christians, but they weren't necessarily going out of their way to financially help every person in the world. That's not what that's not what the churches were doing in the New Testament times. Now, I know this is an uncontroversial opinion, but I just think it can be shown repeatedly by examples in the New Testament. So I've got, I have an obligation to people that have joined themselves to this church and are trying to live right. Although we sin, they are, they've made a proclamation that they believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and they're going to submit to him. They've been buried with him in baptism and they're going to try to serve him. That's different than someone that says, I like going to church. I like the Bible. I think Christ is nice, but they've never really committed themselves to Christ. There's a difference in those people. And I I think I have a different obligation to those two different kinds of people. Um, it, it, okay, and that's un- I got to go help out in the church. Okay. It's very well, chatting with you. And I just think it was a good topic to put out there. Well, I appreciate your perspective. And standing on the Word of God for exactly how it is interpreted by the Holy Spirit definitely is countercultural today. What is it is. What supposed to do? Well, I appreciate your perspective, Laura, and you feel free to call back anytime, okay? God bless you. Have a great God day. God bless you, too. You take care. All right, we have another call. I think Jerry's been on hold. Jerry, are you there? I hope, I ha- I hope he's still there. Taking my call. I spelled that last name out as best I could. Okay. Uh, and the reason I asked about that is because of the word dementia. Uh, my dad was a pilot and my older brother, uh, both pilots. And uh, we lost my oldest brother back in the 70s. Uh, he was 25. And my dad just passed uh, in 2019, just a couple of years ago. But I got this spelling. uh uh, D-E-M-E-N-T-A-G-E, Dementia, uh, Demo- uh, Catherine, uh, Demetage. I, I, I really can't seem to pronounce the last name, uh, uh, but I, well, I don't know if I can pronounce it either. Because of the word dementia, uh, dementia, G, uh, and, uh, I just wondered if she was somebody in the church or the religion or something like that. You say her first and name was Catherine? Who was Catherine White, you know? And, uh, but I'll spell it out again, Mike. Uh, D-E-M-E-N-T-A-G-E. Boy, I can, I, okay, ever, I, have, I have not ever heard of that woman. Uh, Catherine Dementia G. I would say it's almost Demetage. Jerry, but I could be wrong. But I, I, I just don't know this person. I tell you what, I'm going to have to do, Jerry. I'm going to have to look this up. Oh, okay. Hold on. I'll, I'll have to look it up, and maybe I can get back to this next week because yeah, yeah. I am. Thanks a lot, Mike. You've finally stumped me, Jerry. <laughs> I didn't mean to stump my, you. No, no, my children would be so shocked it's because I used to. Somebody's gone through uh, dementia. <laughs> you know, they're a, a very intelligent person, and they they get old and they go through dementia. You know. Yeah, well, they do, and it happens. And and strangely enough, the uh, people who are very intelligent can hide that dementia for a long time, but it still eventually gets people. My mother-in-law was one of those folks. You know, my children, Jerry, will be shocked. They're grown-ups now listening because I used to challenge them in the car 
because they thought they were so smart. Ask me any question, and I'll give you an answer to it. I, of course, I, I didn't mean to stump your mic. I, I just, uh, it, <laughs> just said it looked so close to the Muncher, you know. Yeah, it does look like the, it does look like the same one. I'm just going to have to look it up. You oh, know, uh, this okay. dementia is a. Well, I'll, I'll I'll see what I can find out for you, Jerry, about that. I, it's interesting, uh, that, and I love the way your mind thinks. But you know, dementia is such a terrible disease. I've known several people that have have it and have passed away with Alzheimer's, which is a little bit different than dementia. My mm-hmm. mother-in-law being one of them, and it took this beautiful, intelligent, vivacious, lovely woman. And just reduced her to a curled up uh, yeah, body right. on, a, on a bed in a few years, unable to do anything. I was especially uh, impressed with uh, Laura's uh, 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 Bible passage of 714 because uh, when I was in the Army, uh, I didn't know that your uh, papers were called your two four teens. And I would, my, my line number, was seven seven. That's how I was across the Oklahoma Army, and uh, they did. Uh, while I was stationed, they did bring a uh, prostitute around in an uh, army truck, and you had to get him back to this uh, armor fucking and have intercourse with your prostitutes, you know. And uh, and but that I didn't know what the purpose were called that the uh, armor or the navy. Uh, or the old force that when we'll get out of the service, you you get your two four teams and oh uh, really yeah and that's your or a couple of from purple from the service and uh, oh. but, yeah that's that's how it was in law uh, and it was uh, it's a rough way to turn uh, twenty or eighteen it's a rough way to to have a face uh, turning our age uh, but we all had to go through it and uh, well thanks for taking my call Mike. I appreciate that. You know, there's a uh, we have a young man here and we've had several over the years who went into the service recently. And I talked to him about this, not that he needed this instruction, but I just felt like I should. We talked about the fact that so many young people that go into the service are corrupted by it. Not that they shouldn't go in, but they're unprepared. As you mentioned, it's a tough oh, way to be Watch your mic, but uh my first day in the service was the uh, 30th anniversary at Normandy, and I woke up that morning, I got quest, I was coming out of attention by my bunk, and the drill sergeant walks in, he punches me in the stomach, and then he throws me down two flights of stairs, and that was my introduction to the Army. Oh, my it, goodness. It was really uh, ugly, and uh, and uh, it, it it was really ugly, and that, that's about it. And thank you for taking my call, buddy. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it, Jerry. Yeah, you know, the service can be a great experience for many young people, give young men a purpose. It can give them discipline. It can show them what they need to do, give them direction in life, teach them many practical skills also, give them a sense of duty and honor. But it can also be a corrupting influence and, and kind of brutalize many young men make them much more harsh and brutal, cut them off from their families and from emotion. So it can have both, like a lot of things in life, it can have both effects. Getting a college education for some young people is a great experience for them. It opens up doors in life, but it can also be something that turns them away from Christ, 
gives them a sense of superiority and arrogance and so forth and smugness. It, it can experiences in life are what are just neutral almost as that were. It's what you do with that experience that makes the makes it one way or the other and how you re- and that's where the word of God comes in because the word of God is able to show you how to deal with each of these experiences in the right way. And so it shows you by wisdom uh, what the right response is. So when just like we, in the previous call there with Laura about Christians, you know, not treating people correctly, you're going to ha- have all kind of opportunities as you go through life to respond in different circumstances to people. And how you respond, whether you respond with uh, grace or whether you respond with hostility and anger and arrogance, that's going to be determining whether God is pleased with your actions or not. That's what's going to make it. The verse I was referring to, by the way, I didn't look it up. I was on the phone with her. Uh, Paul says, and and, uh, and this is this applies to what uh, Laura called in about Colossians chapter four in verse five. He says, beginning, he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. That means outside of Christ. So there is an inside and there's an outside. And that's kind of what I was saying as far as churches are concerned, both in general in the church in a broad sense and in the local churches. There's an inside and an outside. We're not supposed to be treating people on the outside as if they're in a hostile way. But it says you walk in wisdom toward those on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So my speech is to be with grace, meaning with goodness and and kindness toward people. And even when I'm straightforward and what they would call blunt, they might even call it harsh, it's really with grace because I it's seasoned with salt. It's try I'm trying to say when you put you put salt on something so it goes down a little bit easier, so it's more palatable. And probably this is perhaps this is perhaps what Laura's saying the church has not done this. In our teaching about moral things and about life some sometimes we have not taught in a way that would allow more people to accept it if we're looking for the magic way to get most people or all people to accept the gospel of christ and be redeemed and be changed by the power of the gospel we're not going to find that there's nothing that's going to convince most people to do that. Even Jesus says the way is narrow and few are they are that find it. And what's happened in our, our lifetime, those of us who are older, is that the percentage of people who will even give an ear to biblical morality and the call of the gospel to humble yourselves before God, that percentage of people has gone way down because of the advance of progressive ideas. It's gone way down. And so we can expect much more opposition And so we don't have a magic bullet. We can, though, as individuals, walk in wisdom toward those who are without. Uh, You know, one of my favorite verses as a as a preacher, as one who does this kind of thing, as it were, as a life calling, is found in Second Timothy, and it's in chapter two. Those who are uh, those who are members here have heard me talk about this verse many times from the pulpit and classes. Paul says in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, um, 
after he warns them to avoid ignorant and foolish disputes because they just generate strife. There's some things we can focus on that over we can see right away just going to generate strife. We ought to be careful about that. He says in verse 24, 2 Timothy 2, 24, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God will perhaps grant them repentance so they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, have been taken captive to him to do his will. So the servant of the Lord, the man like me who claimed to be a, a, a servant or a minister, and any of you who claim to be servants of the Lord, must not be a quarrelsome person who's just always looking to pick a fight and to have arguments with people about everything and, and see if they can win an argument. Now, I started out to be a lawyer, and I can tell you from being a debater for many years uh, uh, that the idea of debating in law is to win, and that becomes an object in what you're doing, not necessarily to persuade, but to win. That's You can get involved in a lot of quarrels and become a quarrelsome person that way. But the Christian is not to quarrel, even if they disagree, but to be gentle to all, able to teach, to see the purpose of this disagreement is to instruct, to be patient, wait, being able to wait to see the proper result. In humility, not self-interest, not arrogance, haughtiness, but in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. So, yes, it is the duty of a Christian and a Christian minister to correct people if they're in opposition to God. It must be done with humility with patience, not quarrelsome, and with gentleness. So my job is to correct people, which is going to receive many times a harsh response and be called hate. But the idea is that in my instructing, if possible, and in teaching them that they can be, God could grant them repentance to turn away from what they're doing, that they can know the truth so they can come to their senses and escape the devil. That They've been taken captive, and I don't think they all mean it that way. They don't mean to be captive. They don't, they're not intentionally trying to, to be against God, but they are. And so the Christian minister understands this and tries to help people in love. Now, this is what love is about. That's what love is, doing that in the right way. And I have failed at this task personally many times. Sometimes I've succeeded. I've often failed. And I need to be rebuked and corrected in that sense and turn to God to receive that instruction. But we all must be willing to correct those who are in opposition to God. That's part of the job of being a Christian. And we need to accept that and realize that people are not going to. Jesus says, they didn't like me and you're just my servant. They're certainly not going to like you. We don't have to make that a badge of honor, but it's a fact. Well, we got about a minute left. I want to close the show by inviting you to, by first thanking you for listening, and inviting you to attend our services at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We meet at 10 o'clock this morning for Bible classes. We meet at 11 o'clock for our worship and preaching and communion. And then we meet also at 7.30 on Wednesday night. We'd be love to have you anytime. You're not going to be asked for money or embarrassed. Take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com, and take a look at the other resources there, and we'd be glad to see you sometime. God bless you, and thank you for listening. Until next week.
You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie every Sunday at 9 a.m. on WPSL Port St. Lucie.